So, I don't know how many of you have had experiences, I'm sure most of us have, of thinking that you're ready for something or thinking that you're prepared for something, but then you show up and you realize how not you are, and so you just kind of have to wing it. So it could be something as little as you're going to a picnic and you like bring those little pudding packs or like applesauce and then you realize you don't have a spoon so you kind of have to like fold the lid and scoop it into your mouth, like pull one of those. You're like, I'm just, I'm just going to wing this. We're here. We got the food. I'm just going to wing it. Or maybe when you were in school, you had a standardized test and you're like, okay, I know that this test is coming and I'm ready for this. But then you show up and you realize how much you don't know. And so you just kind of start filling in the bubbles. Like maybe you start making little Christmas trees or like little pictures in the bubbles. Um, or maybe for some of you who are parents during this whole pandemic, like you kind of had this idea, maybe school would close down, but then when it actually did, you realize like, man, I have to homeschool my kids and I was not prepared for this and we're just going to have to go with it. And so sometimes in life, those experiences happen and we end up in a situation that we think we're prepared for, but we just have to wing it. And a couple, a couple years ago, almost exactly two years ago, um, I ended up in a situation that I had to wing something that nobody should ever try to wing. <laughs> but I'm sure people do. Um, but that was uh, performing a funeral. And it was actually the, the funeral of my grandmother. <laughs> So I had been asked if I, would, if I would speak at her funeral, and I think in my head I had this idea of, I'm going to get up and I'm going to say a few words, and I was prepared for that. For those of you who don't know, my family lives in Iowa, so I had flown back to Iowa just in time for the visitation, the viewing. And when I walked into the funeral home and when I opened up the booklet, it said, Elizabeth Ebling, officiating pastor. And I was like, oh, that's what they <laughs> and so, I, I mean, I had been to Bible college, I had been through, um, you know, seminary, I had, I had gotten all the licensing and all the things, but the first thing that came to my mind was like, man, in Bible college I did some fake weddings, but I never did a fake funeral, I'm not ready for this, uh, but thankfully... I did have the night to prepare, and thankfully I had enough of a relationship with her that I, I, was able, um, I was able to make it intimately connected with the family, which was super, super special, and I feel like God used in a really cool way. But let me tell you, in those moments, I felt like I was not the right candidate for that role. But how often in God's story do we see that those who are selected to play really significant roles in the story of God are people that do not seem like a good candidate? And just to be super clear, I'm using the word candidate, but I am by no means making political statements by this. I am clearly, I'm just saying, in the story of God we see over and over and over that those that he chooses to bless, and those that he chooses to use in his story are often people that don't seem like the right person for the job. 
So uh, throughout this season, the Vineyard has decided to lean into the lectionary, which is basically kind of this global church schedule of uh, passages throughout the Bible that um, people all over the world are, are preaching on um, throughout different denominations, different churches. And so today, one of the passages is from Genesis 25 that we're going to read together. And so leading up to that, um, if, you, if you want to, so that will be 25, starting in verse 19. So as you're getting there, leading up to that, um, Abraham in Genesis 12 had been set aside uh, by God to be a, a father of many nations, meaning that he was going to choose him to play a really significant role in his story. But what was crazy is that his wife was barren. And so they tried to take matters into their own hands, didn't exactly go the way that it should have, but yet God was still faithful. And Sarah, even in her old age and in her barrenness, had a son, Isaac. And then in this story here in Genesis 25, um, this is talking about Isaac's children. So, in chapter 25, starting in verse 19, it says, This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. So, not only was... It's so funny, not funny, but it's, it's crazy that God had said to Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations while his wife was barren, but yet he was still faithful. And then once they finally did have a son and he got married, then his wife was barren, but yet God is faithful. So um, the Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other. They wrestled each other within her, which is kind of scary. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb, the first who came out was red, and his whole body was cut. He was a ginger. <laughs> and his whole body was like a hairy garment. It's kind of scary. I try to picture what, like, what he looked like. Um, it was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau, which means hairy. <laughs> and after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, which is also kind of terrifying. So he was named Jacob, which means deceiver. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So God was faithful, but we see that he was 60. They had gotten married when he was 40. So this was 20 years of barrenness before these twins were born. So the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was... <laughs> all kinds of cars. Um, where am I at here? 
while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he's also called Edom, which means red. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is this birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Would you all pray with me as we dig more into this passage? Let's pray. God, um, we thank you for your word and that we have access to it and that we get to join in what the global church is doing by going through your word together, God. I pray that it would come alive. God, I pray that whatever is just of me would be forgotten, um, God, but that your Holy Spirit would come, would pierce hearts, would, would speak um, to me and to everyone who is here in person and to everyone who may be watching now or later online. Um, Holy Spirit, would you come? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there's a lot of different things that you could focus on in this passage. But as I was preparing this week, what stood out to me the most was this idea of inheritance and how Jacob sure didn't seem like the right person to get that inheritance. So the thing about inheritance, um, I come from a farming family so I have a, a little bit of a taste of what it means for like land to be passed down for generations. Um, but that was even more so significant at this time. But the inheritance in this family line was something so much deeper than that. Because if you look back at, at Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, when he said, when he called him apart and he sent him to a land that he was going to give him as an inheritance, like God, just like a, a father gave his son an inheritance and gave his son a blessing, God gave that to Abraham, calling him his own and blessing him and sending him to this land. But what he said to him is, I am going with you. So it was this promise of this thing that he was going to get, but even more significantly, this inheritance meant that he belonged to God and that God was with him. And so we see that from Abraham, and from his descendants, the people of God continue down. So we see Jacob, who later becomes Israel, is renamed Israel, which are the chosen, set-apart people of God that are blessed and whose hand God, who's, who has the hand of God on them. <laughs> and eventually we see 
that the people of Israel end up in captivity in Egypt. And so God frees them through sending them through sending Moses to free them from captivity. And he's going to give them this promised land as an inheritance. But what's so special is not just the land that they're going to, but the presence of God that stays with them. That as they wander through the wilderness, as they were being led out of Egypt, they had a pillar of cloud which represented the presence of God with them. They had a pillar of fire by night which represented the presence of God with them. They were instructed to build this, this temple, this, this dwelling place for the Spirit of God which set them apart. That was what was so special about this inheritance that these people had was that the presence of God was with them. And one of the most uh, special things that was told to me when I was leaving seminary was um, being reminded of what God told the, the Levites, which was this uh, tribe within the nation of, of Israel that were set apart to do ministry, to serve God. And all of the other tribes, they, they had a certain part of land and certain things that they would get as a physical inheritance, but the Levites didn't get any of that. God, God specifically said, you don't get an inheritance like everybody else does. You're going to live off of the tithes of all of the other tribes. But what he says to them is so profound. He says, I am your inheritance. That they might not get what everybody else is getting, but what they're getting is something so much more valuable, and that's him. And as that line continues on, we can see that genealogy in the beginning of the book of Matthew, that eventually it leads down to the birth and the person of Jesus, Emmanuel, who is God with us. And so when Jacob was going to receive this inheritance, it was so much more than just a piece of land. It was so much more than just whatever money was coming his way from his father who was dying. This inheritance meant that he was going to play a pivotal, significant role in the story of God, which ultimately leads down and affects all of us today. That's big. Like, that's a significant inheritance. And there's a couple reasons that it doesn't make sense why Jacob would get that inheritance. The first is because he wasn't the firstborn, and that's not the way things worked. Culturally, that made no sense. It was always the firstborn. But we see... That God often, though he can move in the midst of culture, that he's not bound by it. And that the people that seem like they're not born into the right circumstances, God has a really big heart for. See, the significant thing about my grandma that I got to do that funeral for was that she actually wasn't by blood my grandmother. Uh, a, a part of my family's story is I was born into a blended family. So my two oldest brothers are actually my half-brothers. And in my mom's first marriage, there was um, 
some abuse and addiction and um, a lot of brokenness. So they ended up getting divorced when, when my brothers were very young, yet their biological dad's mother loved my mom and loved them so much that she stuck with them. And so he actually ended up passing away unexpectedly in a house fire when they were quite little. And then my dad came along, met my mom. Um, as they got married, he adopted my two oldest brothers. But even then, this grandmother, their biological grandmother, she so deeply loved them and wanted to be a part of their life that she called my mom her daughter, and she called my dad, who she should have had no connection with whatsoever, she called him her son-in-law, and she wanted to continue to be the grandmother of my brothers. But then when I was born, she wanted to be my grandmother. And she didn't have to be that. Like, she didn't have to love me. She didn't have to choose me. She didn't have to call me her own. It didn't make sense. But there was never a moment that I felt that my, my relationship with her as her granddaughter was any less or any different than that of my brothers or my cousins who were by blood hers because she called me her own. And so as I spoke at her funeral, like, I got to speak on this unconditional love that I had experienced to her and how that is a reflection of the character of God. That even, and we get that we live in a world where what you're born into dictates, dictates a whole lot about what happens in your life. And you name it, whether it's gender or ethnicity or socioeconomic status, whatever, it dictates a whole lot about your life. But what it does not dictate is whether or not you are worthy of the love and the inheritance and the favor and a significant role in the story of God. So that's the first way that Jacob was not the best candidate for this inheritance. The second um, was that his, his character certainly didn't qualify him as, as a good candidate. Because um, even though God, God said when Jacob was still in the womb that he was going to get this inheritance, I'm quite certain that the way um, he would have wanted it to happen, wouldn't, like, I'm pretty sure that he didn't want Jacob to deceive and lie, because later on, like, not only did he trick Esau in this moment and play on his weakness and his hunger, but later, him and his mother scheme against their father to deceive him to get the blessing instead of Esau. So I'm pretty confident that that's not what God wanted him to do. Because that's not in the character of God. Deception is never in the character of God. But the thing about God's promises and the thing about God's inheritance that he gives us is that it's a whole lot more about his character than it is about ours. 
that his character, that Jacob's character, did not disqualify him from getting what God had promised. And that's hard to grapple. Like, that's hard to wrestle with. Recently, I was just reading in a book that was reminding me of when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended on him and God spoke and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. At that point in Jesus' life, so first of all, Jesus, Jesus never sinned. There was never anything um, there was never anything flawed in his character or in what he did. And at the same time, up until the point when, when God said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, that was before Jesus did a lot of the good things that we all recognize now as well, right? So like, Jesus said, my favor is on him, he's mine, I'm pleased with him. Before Jesus did any miracles, before Jesus started his public ministry, before he raised people from the dead, before he taught publicly, well, I guess he did when he was 12, we heard about that, but before Jesus went and died on the cross, Even then, while he was yet, maybe to the world, nobody significant, and to the world hadn't done anything significant, God said, I'm pleased with you. It wasn't by his actions, but it was by the fact that he was a son of God. And so I think many of us, we can fall in this, in this camp of thinking that either I haven't done enough good things in order to earn a significant part of God's story, in order to earn this inheritance from God, or we think that I've done too many bad things. But we see over and over and over that it's less about what we've done it's less about what we've been born into or the status that the world sees us as. And it's more about the character of God. And see, her job is, is to just receive it. Because at one point, it was the people of Israel that were set apart and marked by the presence of God. But when Jesus came and when he stepped into the picture as God with us, and as he died on the cross, the veil was torn that before had separated people from the most holy place where God dwelled because it was like too much and people were too unclean to be there. But by the sacrifice of Jesus that made us clean enough, that veil was torn so that we had equal access to God. And as Jesus rose again, and as he ascended into heaven, he promised to his people the Holy Spirit, 
who would come and dwell in us just as the Spirit of God and the presence of God dwelt in the temple for so many generations. And in Ephesians, the beginning of Ephesians, Paul writes that the Holy Spirit is like a deposit for our inheritance. That our inheritance is to one day be fully present in the kingdom of God without any hindrance to being with him, but that now we get a foretaste of that by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That even now we have access to him. That is our inheritance. And we can look, we can all look at Esau and think, Dude, what are you, bro, what are you thinking? Like, I get that you're hungry, but come on. It's soup, like. But in his desperation in the moment, I don't know that I blame him. And how many times have we done that? I believe that many of us understand in our heads that we have this inheritance to be in the presence of God which transforms us and shapes us and renews us and heals us. But in moments of desperation, in moments of distraction or temptation, we trade that for something so much more temporary that we think is going to ease whatever it is that's going on inside of us. Because we lose sight. Just like when the Israelites were wandering around in the, in the wilderness, they knew that they were going towards the promised land. They knew that they were going towards this inheritance. And they knew that the presence of God was with them, but yet there was still moments when they're like, can we just go back to Egypt? Because at least we knew what to expect there. At least we knew what the food tasted like. It seems like there's a little more variety there. Like, how often do we do that? But guess what, friends? No matter how many times we've traded that, like, it's not, it's not too late. That the presence of God, this inheritance of God is so available to us. And, and sometimes it's hard to enter into that. Sometimes it's hard to enter into moments of just sitting and being with him. And we've talked about that uh, throughout the past couple months in this series of, um, of emotional health. Sometimes it's easier to just turn to things that are going to cover up the problem or distract us from whatever it is that we're facing. And sometimes stepping into this inheritance, and we see all throughout Scripture that sometimes being a part of God's story is painful. And so sometimes accepting what it is that God has for us, that can be overwhelming, that can be scary, that can be painful because it means that we're probably going to have to face a lot of brokenness in ourselves. But friends, that inheritance is worth it. It's so much more valuable than that cup of soup. My grandmother, for years before she passed away, was preparing 
what she was going to pass on. And none of us knew. So she had a lot of health problems. She had survived three different types of cancer. She had, she had tons going on. And so for many years, she never knew how long she had. And she was slowly setting aside stuff for people in her life. She had a letter that she had written to my grandfather for after he was gone. She had money set aside. She had all this stuff. The only person that she told was my cousin. I don't know how my cousin kept it a secret for like 10 years, but she did. So after my grandmother passed away, my cousin went. She knew where to find those things. She took them. She wrapped them up. And she delivered them to us as Christmas gifts the year after my grandmother passed away with the very clear message that this was set aside for you. And so I got this ring the Christmas after my grandmother died that years before she had set aside for me. Again, she didn't have to. I wasn't by blood hers, but she did. And I think about the beauty of that, that my cousin, she received what was hers. She received what had been set aside for her. But she also was this messenger delivering to me, this is what is for you. This is what was being set aside for you. And we get to do that. We get to be that. We get to not only receive this incredible presence of God and inheritance of God, but we get to be conduits of that. That we get to go to people and say, this is what the Lord has done in me. And here's what the Lord is offering you. and express to them that they too have full access to this inheritance because guess what? None of us are good can candidates for it. But he made us all for it. So I don't know uh, where you are today with this. Whether you've been um, having a hard time I, I have a hard time, like, believing that that's really for me a lot of times. But friends, this gift is here for us to receive today.